Pardon me? We are so excited to have our guest today, Dr. David Hamilton. He's co-author of the book Choice Point, Align Your Purpose, along with Harry Nasty, writer, director, visionary, and filmmaker. These two major figures behind the launch of this extraordinary Choice Point movement brings to light unstoppable teamwork to be shared with our world. Both the film and the book outline Choice Points paradigm-shifting program that focuses on three-point program that leads people to understand their world, align their purpose, and be the change. I think we all need this. You are now Mm -hmm. listening to the International Taz and Paula Show, and I'm Paula. And I'm Taz. Well, this recent groundbreaking movie, Choice Point, features insights from some of the world's leading changemakers, including Jack Canfield, Larry Dossi, uh, Barbara Marks Hubbard, Greg Braden, Tony Benn, Peter Buck, and Sir Richard Branson. Now, this inspiring book, Choice Point, Align Your Purpose, sets the foundation with revealing exclusive material not seen in the film, plus explores exciting discoveries in greater depth. Actually, the wisdom of this book, Choice Point, is so much more than simply a collection of information. Um, It's a template for change. It actually holds the tools to make the change as well as the key that unlocks the secrets to successful choices in our life. So we could call this book a personal blueprint that supports our transformation, lifting us to become better people, choosing better lives, and, and makes the world a better place to live in. Well, our guest, Dr. David Hamilton, Ph.D., cutting-edge scientist, worked in the pharmaceutical industry for four years after gaining his Ph.D., and is now the best-selling author of numerous books, including How Your Mind Can Change Your Body and The Power of Contagious Thinking. David travels throughout the world offering workshops to help people understand the power of the mind on the body. And David also blogs for the Huffington Post. Well, David... Your life is so expansive, and you're uh, giving so much to the world. And we thank you for being with us today. Welcome. Oh, thank you very much. You make me sound more impressive than I am. <laughs> I, I, I always like having my bio read out, and I'm thinking, is that me? <laughs> Did I do all that? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's funny, but some people, when we hear about ourselves, we just, you know, we just, we just know ourselves as who we are. But it, it always sounds better when someone describes us. And uh, well, you know, it's uh, really interesting. Go ahead. I, I was going to say it's really interesting when, you know, like after you write um, a book or after you write um, an article, and then you put it away for a while, and then you go back to it and you go, "Did I write that?" I mean, it's it's almost a shock because it's it's a renewal for some reason to your your mental. It's it's a therapy. It's amazing. Yeah, yeah, I get that all the time, actually, because you know, I I think I've got seven books now, and I get the same every single time. Even sometimes when I revisit my very first book uh, that I wrote really back in two thousand and five, I remember look I look back in it now, and I think I forgot that I even was thinking of that stuff at the time. <laughs> so it is really like like a renewal. Awakening up again, reminding me of some of the stuff that I'm supposed to teach that I, I forget in my own life. Well, I, I think this gives uh, people a reminder that uh, creating a journal might be good, and then you can go back and look at your yeah. what sometimes you forget. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, can we change our reality? I mean, can we? I mean, is that possible? Oh, yeah, I mean, absolutely. You know, one of the things that, that I often say to people, you know, I, you mentioned there that, you know, I worked in the pharmaceutical industry. I mean, what I used to do was, was build drugs. I, I used, literally used to build uh, drugs for cardiovascular disease and, and for cancer. But I, I was more interested in the power of the mind because one of the things that you have to do when you, you build a drug is, to pro- is you prove that it works. And it's okay to prove it works in a test tube, but you really need to give it to people. So you can you give a hundred people, let's say a hundred people a drug, and you give another hundred people a fake drug. So and, and most people know that's called a placebo, and it's made of chalk. 
or, or sugar. And, and typically, what you often get, in fact, what I saw even when I was looking through similar, uh, similar types of, of disease conditions to the ones I was working on is, you know, you might get 75% of people getting better on the drug, but you often get 65 or 70% of people getting better on the fake drug, on the placebo, because they thought they were getting the drug. And what I used to start thinking about then was, isn't that amazing that just by what we're thinking or believing in the moment is changing the chemistry of our bodies? And it really has a remarkable effect. So, I mean, it's so simple if you think about it. If a person had to think about someone who was causing them stress, then the moment you start doing that, you create the stress chemistry in your brain, you know, glucocorticoids and precursors to stress hormones, and eventually you target the adrenal glands and you flood your body with adrenaline and cortisol, and that pumps blood out to your extremities. And, and, what, and if you continue to think in that way, then you even build up the, the, the chemical triggers of heart disease, you know, things called free radicals and inflammation. And you're changing all this chemistry just by thinking in your mind of someone who causes you stress. But if you had to think of someone who you love, then you produce love chemistry in the brain, so you elevate levels of serotonin and dopamine. You even produce the little the, the bonding childbirth hormone called oxytocin. At the same time, you, you produce oxytocin around the body, and that causes a, an expansion of your blood vessels, and it counteracts the effect of these precursors to heart disease. So you're changing your chemistry of your blood of your body just by pointing your mind towards stress or pointing your mind towards someone that you love. So in many ways, we're always changing chemistry inside but in the same way depending on what we're thinking about and, and how where we're pointing our mind so let's use the same example whether it, we're pointing our mind towards stuff that causes us stress or pointing our minds in life towards things that we're grateful for then we also change the chemistry of our lives and, and what i mean by that is the circumstances and events that sort seem to happen to us and also our responses to those and even the quality of our relationships it's almost like it's almost like the, the world around us is an extension of the body. So just as the mind changes the chemistry of the body, so the mind changes the chemistry of our life. So in, in that vein, I, always, I often use that as a, as a simple analogy for how we really do have the ability to shape our lives. You, you're really starting with our minds. Wow. Well, the minute we put you know what, energy I... towards something, it grows. So. I said the minute the minute we put energy towards something, it starts to grow. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. It's so like, I'm, it's so like I'm, when, I'm sorry. <laughs> no, I'm I sorry. Say, go. Uh, go ahead, David. Also, no. All I was going to say, yeah, it's like watering plants. It's like putting seeds in a garden, and the seeds are our thoughts. And the more that you think the same type of thought you start to water the seed and the seed eventually begins to grow. So the more energy you're beginning you're giving something, it's like watering the same thing over and over again. And we can we really can grow beautiful gardens in our lives through what we focus on. I was just yeah. thinking wouldn't it be awesome to um you know, you said focus on the people that that are around you that you love and so you could have pictures and photographs all all over around you to remind you of, of the wonderful yeah. people in your life and you know what I mean? Yeah. And if they're not there that is to uh, yeah. that that feeling, that energy. Yeah, and, and it's such a pivotal, sorry. What was the no. pivotal point in your life when when you realized purpose was that of Working in the pharmaceutical industry, what what really changed your life? Uh, I, I can actually put it down, you know, to a couple of different events. It wasn't a, one particular pivotal point, but there was a, a few events which connected together. It made it very clear to me that that I, I would actually do what I do now, and not so much being in the pharmaceutical industry. When I was 11 years old, I had just started a high school. And at the time, my mum was was experiencing postpartum depression, and that was after the birth of my youngest sister. And I felt such empathy and compassion for my mum, and she didn't really she, she hid it from the kids very well. She didn't really show us that she was ill, but you can you know you can tell. And I remember one day, as odd as this might sound, I was in the public library. The, my English teacher was giving us a tour of the library, and I'd never been in a library before. And as corny as this might sound, a book fell off the shelf, and it was called The Magic Power of Your Mind. 
and it was by a, a gentleman called Walter Germain. And I immediately had this strong sense, as an 11-year-old kid, that that book could help my mum. So I, I just put it in my bag. I didn't know that you're supposed to join a library, get a membership, and get a little <laughs> card and stamp books out. So I just put it in my bag. I was just a kid. And shh, don't tell anyone, but I still have the book. <laughs> I think it's overdue now. And, but I, I gave it to my mum. And it, you know, it wasn't a magic bullet. It didn't cure her in a day. But what it did do is it gave her some simple exercises and, and strategies that helped her with her mind to navigate away a course through some of the difficult challenges over the next few years. So my mum would often use affirmations like things like, you can do it, and, and you know, the power, it's all in the mind, mind over matter, it's the thought that counts. And she would use these phrases a lot out, out loud eh, and build some determination in herself. So I grew up in an environment as a teenager where I would hear those sentences a lot so when I, I went through classic education, you know, in the sense that you know, I, I did my honours degree and I went on to do a PhD, and, and the natural progression for me was to go into to the drug industry and, and, and build drugs, and that, that was my thing. But while all of my colleagues were excited at the prospect of, of the, the drug trial, so once we'd created a new drug and my colleagues were very, very happy that drug was working, all that interested me really was how many people had got better on the placebo using their mind. And I think it's because, and I was the only person that had that interest, and I think it was because I, I'd grown up in an environment with my mum always was talking about this. So, so that really set the course for me, that even though I was working as a scientist in the pharmaceutical industry, that my heart really wasn't in you know, healing the body with the drugs, but what can we do with the mind eh, to facilitate that? And it wasn't until about four years later uh, sorry, three years later, I I was still working in the industry, and really, I think after a while you get into the the routine of doing things, and you forget what your hopes and dreams are, and I think it's a very common experience in life. And I went into a period of depression, and it got really bad. And I remember I had what you call smiling depression. You know, people smiling depression is when you you're suffering inside, but you pretend to everyone else that you're fine, so you smile. And it's called smiling depression. And I used to go to my work and work in the lab and smile and chat to everyone as if everything was fine. But really I was, you know, emotionally suffering badly inside. And I remember when I finished work every day, I'd jump in the car, drive home, park the car, get inside the house, lock the door, draw the curtains, and I would lie on the floor and cry. And I did that for months at a time. And it was the only relief that I actually got at night was lying on the floor crying. And when things began to turn around is my mum my mum used to call me up late at night and early in the morning randomly and just say I feel that there's something wrong with me with you and you're not telling me she just, my mum my mum could just sense that everything wasn't right with me and I would pretend that I was fine you know smiling depression can can work just down the phone line and I would say no I'm fine honestly everything's great we're making some good breakthroughs in the lab etc etc my mum next morning she said I couldn't sleep all night I just felt there was something wrong with you, uh, please tell me. And eventually I opened up to my mum and she said, you're coming home. And I jumped in the car and I drove the 250 miles home. And in that, and over the next week, I took a week off work, and over that week, I allowed my mum to care. I allowed her to be my mum. And, and that gave me the first feelings of care and positivity that I've had for a long time. And this was a pivotal, life-changing moment for me because in that beginnings of positive feelings, probably the first positive feelings I'd had in about a year, genuine positive feelings, I started to uh, have this strong sense that my future did not lie in a lab in the pharmaceutical industry, but my future lay as a writer and a public speaker. And it was about a year later when I, I resigned uh, from the industry altogether and decided that I would go out and, and write books and, and, and give talks. And, and that kind of drew me into Choice Point. Because my, my my now friend Harry Massey had read one of my books. He'd been interviewing many of the, the the people that you described in the introduction to the show, and he had read one of my books and really enjoyed it. And asked if he could interview me, and we we got on so well during the interview, and it turned out that we were essentially singing off the same hymn sheet to use that analogy that we we thought the same way. And Harry asked if I would would help him to write the book. So, so that really got me into Choice Point. So it's been a series of, of not just one particular pivotal moment, but a, 
several all strung together that have kind of led me to the, the space I'm in in my life right now, if that makes sense. That makes sense. But when you first decided to, to leave the pharmaceutical world and write your yeah. first book and start writing, um, was there a void that you had to wait for things to happen? Oh, absolutely, yeah. It's funny, but, you know, when I left, I was so motivated and pumped up, and I thought, this is a new future, new, you know, new career. And and I spent the whole of the next year where I couldn't really get anything to work. And I think, in some ways, I lacked confidence, and, you know, it seemed like a good idea at the time <laughs> that I'd resigned from my job, but I hadn't really thought it through how to do it. But sometimes you've just got to do what feels right. Uh, and it was a bit of a void because nothing really much was happening at all. And it seemed like everything I was trying to do wasn't working. Even though I, I had left the job, I just didn't really know what I was doing properly. And then a few friends and I actually took a sidestep and we, we co-founded a charity called Spirit Aid Foundation. And that was for children around the world whose lives had been affected by war and poverty. And we ran the charity. Uh, I ran the charity for, with them for a couple of years. And, and that was a kind of growing up period for me. And and when I'd finished with that, I, I then started uh, writing my first book. But during that time, it was, after I left the charity, it was about a year later before I actually properly started writing. And that was a kind of void period. It was like I'd kind of lost my way a wee bit again. So I didn't really, even though I left my fa- the job in the pharmaceutical industry to write books, I didn't actually have a book until five years later. You know, so that it was a, a bit of a, a a sideways move and a bit of a change before I actually started properly doing what I set out to do. So what we call this right timing. I mean, that yeah, when you... yeah, yeah. I can look back now, and I, I I don't think I was ready earlier in my life to do what I do now. I mean, I I, I mentioned there that I I really lacked confidence, and yet I'd gone out. I'd left the pharmaceutical industry because I wanted to be a public speaker, uh, you know, and it just felt like the right thing for me. But I was actually very afraid to stand in front of people, whereas nowadays, you know, 12 years later, you know, I, I, I can speak in front of, you know, thousands of people and, and I feel quite comfortable. And I don't think, you know, 10 years ago, I, w- I was ready to do what I do now. So I, I think that there are times in there are times in our life, there are patterns in our life that that seem to unfold when they're when they're ready. And if we try to get there too early, then we we're, we get ahead of ourselves, and sometimes stuff gets in our way. So that when we do arrive at call it our destiny or something, then it, it's at the right time. Maybe it's a healing uh, time that people need to have in that transition. Uh, you know, it's like, okay, I want to, you know, make this jump. But, and then when you, if you jump, then there's a period of time, a lull, that perhaps it's it's really maybe a healing time between yeah. that and where you're able to get the, get the energy and the momentum and the thinking and the positive thinking and everything to unfold in a direction that, that allows that person to feel like they're they're bringing forth their purpose, you know, their yeah. Um, yeah, it takes a while. Yeah, I, I absolutely like, agree. Yeah. And it, it, and it like, doesn't. It, oh. <laughs> sorry, on you go. You, you teach workshops. People, <laughs> people don't like that lull time. You know, it's kind yeah. of a. They they don't anticipate that happening, but you yeah. know, in order just maybe to enjoy that little time because maybe it's a growth time for that person too. What do you think? Yeah. Yeah, actually, this is one of the things that I've, I've thought about quite a lot. Like, I think many people, when they when let's say you, you're starting out where you are now and you have a goal, you know, living your purpose, living your dream, and you can you can imagine it ahead of you in time. And, and, and I guess people make this assumption that getting from here to there is a straight line. But nothing in life ever goes really in a straight line. The, the, natural, the way that nature works is through cycles. 
nature goes cycles up and down and up and down. You know, even the heart beats in and out. We breathe in and out. The earth rotates round and round. So you have this. Everything in nature and the universe is cyclic. So that expresses itself in our own lives as well. And even when we don't see it, and what happens as we're moving towards our goals, we have these up periods, but then we have these down periods, these lulls, but then we have an up period again, and then we have another lull period. And if we can understand that the lull period is actually normal, and, and it is an opportunity for us to find ourselves and gather our thoughts and get ready in ourselves to, to get to the next level. So rather than fight against it and think you're failing and doing something wrong, just understand it's a point of regeneration and regrowth so that the next high is even higher. And what happens, even though the ups and downs are the normal course of things, these cycles are the course of things, they're actually going in an upwards direction all the time. And I think if we understand that, then we don't give ourselves such a hard time when things are not going so well. We don't beat ourselves up and make this assumption that we've done something wrong because we're having a bad day. I mean, naturally, we're all going to have these lulls in our life. It's just the, the cyclic, the ups and down way that, that nature seems to, to express itself. So when you were uh, actually working with nonprofit organization, I would assume that you gathered some tools in that at that time that you didn't have before. Oh, absolutely. Do you know, my major thing, it's funny, you, you people would never assume this about me. When I'm, when I'm giving a talk on, on stage... You know, I, I'm just fresh out of speaking to two of the, the Hay House I Can Do It events uh, last month. And, you know, I'm talk you're talking in front of large audiences. And no one would guess that one of my major challenges in life is, is self-confidence. But, you know, because I, I'll stand in front of a stage and I'm, I'm very at home because I'm talking about subjects that I love. But yet in my own, in my own head, before I go on stage, I, I, I have self-confidence stuff and I, and I experience it at different points throughout my life and no one would no one could guess that because I do I do public speaking but when I left the pharmaceutical industry this self-confidence issue was it, it really dominated my life and here I was trying to be a public speaker and had almost no self-confidence and that was it even boiled down to simple things like when I worked in the, the, the drug industry if I wanted, if I needed anything, I just went to, you know, human resources and they would sort it all out for me. But when you're out in the world on your own, you have to do everything by yourself. And you have to learn, you know, if I want to give a talk, I've got to book a venue, then I've got to, to do some advertising and I've got to learn how to do everything. So when I worked in the non-profit, it was this amazing growth period for me because I wasn't doing it for myself, I was doing it for other people. And so suddenly I learned confidence on another level, a level that I'd never had before because to get things done, you really have to talk to people. And in, in a big city, you know, it was the city of Glasgow in Scotland where we were based, then I had to go speak to the, you know, the mayor quite a lot, or what we call the Lord Provost, the, is the equivalent of a mayor in Scotland. And I would have to talk to the mayor, and I would have to talk to heads of businesses and, and marketing people. And all of a sudden, over this two-year period, I developed confidence and a lot of other tools that I didn't have before and it was almost like that was necessary for me to, to grow so that I could then go out and do what I really wanted to do and I, I think without that growth period you know I possibly wouldn't be where I am right now even though doing that particular job in the non-profit had almost nothing to do with the career that I'd set out to have as a writer and speaker but it's funny how nature invites you into, you know, the universe invites you into other things. And these other things sometimes are exactly what you need at that time to become the person that you need to become for the next phase of your life. And it was easier to go out and promote for other people than yourself. Yeah, absolutely. I I always found, even now I find it difficult. I'm not very much into self-promotion at all. Even when I give my talk, my publisher's, you know, catching me up the rear end because I didn't tell anyone about my book. <laughs> and, uh, so I, I'm not, I'm not really into self-promotion that well. I don't, I'm not that comfortable with it. But when it comes to, you know, fundraising for someone else, well, I am the champion. <laughs> you know, I'm good at telling people how great everyone else is. You know, it's one of my, my, one of the things I am talented at is. So when it was with the charity, it was very easy because everything really was for 
for other people. You know, we we had a few projects that we established. You know, one was in Kosovo, and, and you know there was a, a conflict, you know, a, an ethnic cleansing really in Kosovo back in 2000, 2001, and and we were the first charity into Kosovo after that and, and you know we, we did some work there and we, we gave some money so knowing that money was for that particular project it's an internal motivator and it, it, it drives you to, to learn the tools especially for me of self-confidence that I didn't have before so I think that was necessary in, in my life to have that experience So um, when you went into creating your new book when did you start uh, creating workshops? Was that after your first book? It, it was, yeah, yeah. When I wrote my I wrote my first book and, and I self I actually self published it back in two thousand and five, and and then I started giving workshops and, and talks on the subject and people found it really interesting. Uh, the book became very popular and and Hay House took over the book about six months after it it came out after I'd self published it. And and really, that's when I, I guess my life took on another direction altogether, and and my full time career really became writing and speaking. You know, and it hadn't been a full time before then. I, I'd been working on as a college lecturer on the side because I, you know, I couldn't make a living out of writing and speaking at the time. So I was teaching chemistry and ecology uh, at a college, and yeah, yeah, just as a little sidestep. But once once my book went out with Hay House and I really had to get out there and do much more speaking and and, and writing, it became a full-time career for me, if you could call it a career. You know, it's just, I don't really call it a job, it's just, it's my joy. <laughs> I do what I do and that's about it. Yeah. And now, uh, I have a question. I was going to say, people, you know, when, for instance, you write all these, um, the books and everything, and I was in this last book, Choice Point, Align Your Purpose, you speak about how you make choices in your life, and you talk about what really matters to that person. You know, people wonder, how can, how can I make these choices in my life? How, how do I know what's most important? And um, I want to talk a little bit about that, David. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think when you we we're always faced with choices in our lives. I mean, every moment, really, when we have a decision to make, is, is a mini choice point. And then we have these larger choice points in our life, where sometimes it's when we face a crisis in our life. You know, when something is happening, where it's almost like the universe itself is saying, "The path you're on right now is no longer right for you, and you really need to be going over there somewhere else." So. Sometimes in our lives when we don't hear this call, we have a crisis in our life. And it's almost like nature saying, well, it's time to go up a level, up to another level. And this, and the choice point then is saying, is, is listening to your heart and saying, what what really drives me? What is really, really important to me in my life? And if I, if I can reflect back in my own life, then I, I put my choice point really was that time during when I was experiencing depression, when I worked in the pharmaceutical industry. And for me, I hadn't been listening to the part of me that really wanted to do what I do now. And here I ended up in, uh, you know, what last depression that lasted six months. During that time, convincing myself that that my life really was in this job that I was li- that I was doing. And and only when my mum, I allowed my mum into my life and allowed her to care, and I started having these positive feelings, I was able to reach inside myself. And say, what is it that really, that really, really, really makes me tick? What makes my heart sing? If I could think of anything in my life that really makes my heart sing and fills me full of joy, then what would it be? And it wasn't, the thought that came to me wasn't initially go out there and do it myself. What actually came to me in these moments was this desire to read a number of books. And I, so I started reading through things like the Celestine Prophecy, and I would read things by Wayne Dyer and by Louise Hay and, and, and other self-help authors who I found had a very, very inspirational message. And reading those books began to ignite in me, you know, I could do that as well. That's what I'm supposed to do. And, and so 
I guess it was reaching inside myself and finding that little, that fire, that passion. And, and sometimes when you have that passion, you, you've no idea how you're going to do what you're doing. I mean, I had no experience in the world. I didn't know how to go out and write books. In fact, you know, not a lot of people know this, but I failed my English exams at school. And I was probably, my English teacher at school would probably have said, I would be the last person in the world who would have a career as a writer. I would be the last, I mean, out of a class of 22 people, I was number 22 in my English class in, you know, when I was 17 years old. And my English teacher would say David Hamilton would be the last person in the world who would write a book. It was hard enough getting me to write an essay of 500 words. But yet, here I am now. I've written seven books. You know, Choice Point is, is the seventh in, so far in the series. Uh, and so I didn't know how to do what I do. But sometimes when, you know, when something feels right, you, don't, you shouldn't bog yourself down in thinking, how do I do it? But listen to the voice that says, this is who I am, and this is what I'm all about. And then if you start taking some little actions in the direction, you'll be surprised that the universe will meet you halfway, and opportunities will start presenting themselves to you. And that's certainly been my experience in life. And, and we found this when we went round and interviewed many of these people in life. We asked them about their own choice points, and many of them had experienced a similar crisis and had to ask themselves, what is most important to me in my life? You know, what, what makes my heart sing? What is that little, you know, what's that songbird inside me that if I think of a particular thing, it just sings its song? Uh, and, you know, and, and I think that's how often when we face with a choice point, that's how to get past the choice point. That's how to, that's, that's the, the little voice that tells you which direction to take, so which path of the two paths that we have to follow. I hope that we don't have to have a, We don't have to have a crisis. Do we to to make no. a choice point? No, I don't. <laughs> I, I I hope not because I've got I've got lots of choice points coming up. I, I just need that that exam. <laughs> no, no. Actually, I find that the mo I, I find in life, you know, choice points come all the time, and we don't have crises. Quite a lot of people do have crises in their life. I I've, I've had the, that one major one, but most of the choice points in my life are, are absolutely not crises at all. It's just you're faced with a big decision to make, and and again, quite often if it's if it's a life purpose thing, then when we follow our hearts, it often works out for the best, even if we don't know how to do what we want to do. Now, should we look for synchronicities in our life? <laughs> I mean, we if oh, yeah. we are if we're aware of them, we can see them. Yeah, absolutely. In fact, one of the things we were, we talked about in, in in the book and in the film about synchronicities is that we were talking about how reality, we have these, these cycles in nature. So a, and the, the, a good way to think about it, there's a science called chronobiology. And chronobiology really means time biology. And it sounds like a completely made-up word, but it's actually a very big science. It's, the, it's a science that covers photosynthesis of plants. But basically what chronobiology for humans means is as the sun moves across the sky, and that, that's caused by the Earth spinning on its axis. So the Earth spins, and every 24 hours we have a new day. So as the sun moves across the sky in a cyclic fashion, every day the same transit across the sky, that changes the concentration of sunlight on the retina of the eye. And as that does that, it switches on and off a little gene in the brain. And this gene is called a clock gene. And clock actually is an acronym. It stands for circadian, meaning circadian rhythms. Circadian locomotor output cycles kaput clock, for short. And the clock gene goes on, off, on, off, like a light switch, as the sun moves across the sky. And that produces a little hormone called melatonin. And melatonin is a sleeping-waking hormone. So we sleep, wake, sleep, wake, sleep, wake. And all this hormonal sleeping and waking is driven by the rotation of the Earth. So that's, just a, that's a cosmic cycle that drives a physiological process. It's one of a number of different co cosmic cycles that our, bio, our biochemistry is in sync with. So we find in life that life goes through cycles. But cycles repeat themselves. And when you have a repeating cycle, or, a, or call it a pattern, then you can often refer to it as a fractal. So it's the same thing that repeats itself over and over again. So you can start to understand synchronicities in this way because the seeds of the next 
cycle, the next pattern, are always present in the one you're living right now. So sometimes, if you if you're open to synchronicities, if you're if you're listening to your intuition, sometimes you can spot the signs around you in the moment. Because if a change is about to unfold, because synchronicities will show up in your life almost like it's saying this is what the next cycle is going to look like. Because the next cycle, in a sense, is a is a scaled up version of the one we're living right now. So I, I think that's how some of the synchronicities show up in our lives. So it's like a layer on, uh, that's coming into another layer, kind of. Absolutely, sort of yeah, yeah. Yeah, and, and it really just driven by by these these natural cycles in nature. I mean, I, I think there's there's other ways that synchronicities synchronicities exist as well. I think on a very deep level that we are we're all interconnected, and we're deeply interconnected in life. And I think some of the interconnections are stronger than others. So you're more you're more strongly interconnected to particular people, and even to particular events. And I often use the analogy, it's almost like there's an invisible force connecting you to other people. And, and this, is, this is something that you know, I've, I've written quite a lot about, actually, in articles and things, is that if you go right down to the fabric of reality, and, and not every scientist agrees with this, but there's a growing body of scientists that are approaching, that are looking at things in this way. I, I believe that the fabric of reality itself is, has consciousness stitched into it if you like. So rather than consciousness being a side effect of brain chemistry, you know, it's a product of chemicals in the brain, scientists call it an epiphenomena. There's actually no evidence that consciousness is produced by the brain. That actually, and, and so this new emerging idea in science is that consciousness is everywhere. It's absolutely everywhere. And because your, your consciousness therefore emerges from the fabric of reality, it means that everything at that level is connected to everything else. So if some, so you could be more connected to particular people, some people who show up in your life, for example, for a reason, a season, or a lifetime, and you could also be very connected to particular events in your life. And, and it's almost like there's a, an invisible landscape in life, and just like we walk through a physical path that you can see in your life, these interconnections between us create invisible paths. So we're invisibly drawn through landscapes that we don't see because the landscape's energy itself or consciousness itself and we're drawn to people and events. So synchronicities show up in our lives sometimes because we get a sense of where we're going and we're getting a sense of this connection we have to a particular event. And the event is so connected to us that we just it just shows up in our life and we think, whoa, isn't that absolutely incredible? And the reason it's here in our life though is because we've always been connected to it. So that's another, I guess, another layer of understanding synchronicities. It's something I've really thought about in those terms a lot in my life. Well, what I see is if you put your energy towards something, you will attract mm. synchronicities. Absolutely. I, I was a... This is... I, I was talking... I was giving a lecture actually last week on this particular subject. But if you think about... If you think of something that you really want in your life... It's almost like you you connect yourself at the level of the fabric of reality. So, and, and when I mean the fabric of reality, if you look inside your cells, you'll find DNA. If you look inside DNA, you'll find atoms. And you look inside atoms and there's nothing there. I mean, there's protons, neutrons, electrons, crotons and morons. No, there isn't crotons and morons. But, uh, but inside, inside protons, you have quarks. You know, and there's three quarks inside a proton, but you go down and down and down, eventually you come to the fabric of reality itself, and this is what I believe that consciousness is stitched into the fabric at this particular level. And and I think when you think of something, you, you put energy into something, like a hope or a dream, it's like you make a, an impression on the fabric of reality, and it's like you now connected to this particular event. And if you think of the fabric like elastic, and then you stretch the elastic up to the level of ordinary human things, you're connected to this thing, this event, but it might be ahead of you in time. But there's this invisible magnetic attraction. So regardless of the choices you make, the chances are you will eventually get there, providing you keep putting the energy into it. My partner and I had a, a really spooky example of this a couple of years ago. I, I'd been giving a, a talk over in, in New York City, and it was at one of the Hay House events. And 
my, Elizabeth, my partner, had recently written a comedy book, and the, the book's called God Must Be a Man, and the sub is you know, what women have to go through that men don't. And it was just a comedy <laughs> collection of stories, that embarrassing things, to, to make a joke that, you know, it, women have it much harder in life than men, so God must be a man to make it easy for men. And we were think, talking about how when you write a book, it's, it's great to get the approval of your peers. And quite often people will ask authors if they could have a look and give the book an endorsement. And Elizabeth said, I would love it if Joan Rivers could read the book. And we're thinking, you know, how do you get in touch with Joan Rivers? So we're walking through New York. Now, we'd been walking now for about an hour. And we probably had walked about two miles through New York and taken random turns. We'd even stopped for lunch. And we were walking along a street. And we looked up at this beautiful building. And it, was a, and, a, and it was a complex of apartments. And we were admiring the architecture. And we heard a car pull up alongside of us in the, in the sidewalk. And Joan Rivers stepped out of the car. And we're thinking, whoa, how on earth did that happen? And it absolutely blew us away. But I think what happened is we had that really clear thought about how do you get through to Joan Rivers? Wouldn't it be great to connect with Joan Rivers? And, so, and it almost formed this connection at the level of the fabric of reality. So there's this invisible magnetic attraction that somehow guided us to that particular point. And, you know, we could have arrived 10 seconds later or 10 seconds earlier and we would have missed her. We could have taken any other street in New York. We'd probably walked a distance that probably passed a population of about 4 million people. But yet we end up at that exact moment outside Joan Rivers' house. <laughs> it was really quite bizarre. It's amazing so, uh, how things work. At the end of the story, was she able to give Joan her book? We didn't have it with us. <laughs> <laughs> it just gave we her confirmation. It. Yeah, it, it had. To, you know, it's funny that, that sometimes you, you 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 imagine something happening, but it, it so takes you by surprise that you're not ready for it. <laughs> but at least. At least it confirms that, that everything's interconnected in this way and that what we often think about and put energy into really often does show up in our lives. And sometimes the art is getting out of the way. And what I mean by getting out of the way is to refrain from believing that you can't have the things that you imagine. You know, refraining from believing that it's not possible or refraining from believing that we don't deserve such and such a thing. And when we do these things and, and allow, literally allow, things to come to us, then we're actually allowing ourselves to get to where we need to go in our lives uh, unperturbed by, you know, stuff. Well, if I were your friend and I saw Joan Rivers, I would just think that that was a confirmation uh, from Spirit saying that I'm on my right path. Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. And I think, have you ever noticed that, that when you're on your path, your right path synchronicities show up far more often? Because you're feeling good, and they seem to come more often in your life, and I think it seems to flow when you're feeling good. When you know you're on your path and you're feeling good, it's almost like things speed up for you. Mm-hmm. So, uh, in the movie that's coming out from Choice Point, um, yeah. can you give a, a little bit of a, a synopsis of the movie and how it was made and how it yeah. created? Yeah. Yeah, well, Harry, Harry Massey, uh, my friend, he's, he's the, the producer of the film, Harry basically went around the world interviewing people. So you, you mentioned some of them, Jack Canfield, Barbara Max Hubbard, Greg Brady, even Archbishop Desmond Tutu and, and Sir Richard Branson and myself. And, and there's some a quantum physics professor from Oxford University in the UK. There's a world-famous mathematician. There's... there's philanthropist John Paul de Juria and there's change makers and really just this mixture of people and all of them were asked how they got to where they are in their life and and is there any particular principles and teachings that they could share and also how do you go about changing the world and it was these types of questions and what emerged out of it was this simple formula that most of these people had had used the same type of strategy first of all we call it understand your world. I mean, they didn't always use the same words, but they did the same, the same thing. And basically, that means just research what's happening. Get an understanding of, of how things work. Get an understanding, you know, for some people listening to this show who might have an interest in, you know, creating your reality, then get an understanding of how that works. 
you know, so that we understand how we can create our own realities. If it's a person in business who doesn't think in this kind of way, then then understand your own you know market or something like that. It depends, you know, where a person's approaching this from. So understand your world is really just understand how things work, and then align your purpose was the next point. And what that actually meant was. Understand that the direction that the world is moving in. So there's a direction of change in the world. And if you can understand the direction it's going in and align yourself with it, then you move very fast. It's almost like the world is helping you along the way. And the analogy that we use in in the book and in the film is if you think of yourself on a big wide river, on a small boat, and you have a canoe, now that you're, sorry, you have a paddle. Now, you, you paddle, you can paddle to the left and the right, and you can do what most people do and paddle around in a wee circle. Uh, but we can paddle anywhere we like. But in the river, there are currents. And if you paddle into a current, then you go with the current. As the current moves, you moves, moves, then you need much less effort to get to where you want to go. You can actually stop paddling and let the current take you to where you want to go. So align your purpose is saying that whatever you find your purpose in is in life, if you can align it with a current, then you'll get there in a much better in much better shape. Now, it, it really comes down to what current do you align it with. It, the, one of the major currents in the world is currents of helping other people out. So we talk often about whatever you do in life, do it with kindness, do it with compassion, do it with gentleness, do it with empathy. And if you do it like that, with the this, this spirit of helping other people, we call it aligning. The, the term we use in the book is aligning with a harmonious pattern. And harmonious pattern really means aligning with, with a current that is in harmony with the needs of, of millions of people in the world. So the needs of millions of people in the world you can fulfill in your heart. You can start fulfilling in your heart by, by just being kind in your life. So, what, so it means that whatever, align your purpose ultimately means that whatever you do, seek to do it in such a way that it can ha- enhance the lives of other people. And this came up, a lot of the people in the film who are philanthropists, they, they had found that their life accelerated and moved to another level when instead of seeking to make money for themselves, they said, how can I make a difference in the world? And in that, it's almost like the business began to thrive even more than it ever did before. When they stopped trying to make the money, they actually tried to help other people in the process. And, and that's like paddling into the current. Things start to accelerate for you because the current is taking you forward. And then the last formula that came out of the film was, was, Gandhi's, uh, old, was Gandhi's philosophy of being a change. That if you want to change the world, then the starting point for that is, is by changing yourself. And we talked about how changing yourself actually changes the world. In, in some ways, we we, referred, we talked about the ripple effect. And, and a good way to think about this is if you drop a pebble in a pond, the pebble creates ripples, creates little waves on the surface of the pond. And at the other side of the pond, a lily pad rises and falls. It rises and falls. And it's got no idea why, it, why it's rising and falling. But it's rising and falling because you dropped a pebble in the pond and that created the waves. Now this is an analogy for an act of kindness or or changing yourself in some positive way. That as we do an act of kindness or be the change if you like, we create little waves and we start to lift lily pads all around all around us in our lives. And lily pads that's metaphorically speaking, that's other people that we've connected to. So we talked about uh, through through our social networks, meaning through the people that we interact with on a daily basis, as we become, say, for example, more kind and more compassionate in our lives, we start to impact on other people. And what happens is we create this ripple effect. So if you show kindness to someone, they feel better. They're more likely to show kindness to someone else who feels better, who's more likely to show kindness to someone else. So you have this constant ripple effect. So so be the change was understanding that everything that you do is affecting the world around you. So it's about taking responsibility and saying, well, if I'm always affecting the world around me, in what what way can I do this that that serves other people? So it's really just becoming more conscious of what you're doing. So understand your world is understanding how things work and understanding the direction the world is moving in. Align your purposes. You're really just aligning with that that change. And the biggest change, as I say, is is that which serves the needs 
of, of millions of people. So they align your purpose with something that can benefit the world. And then B, the change is just really just becoming and embracing this and living it day to day in how you do the things that you do. So whatever you do, really do it with kindness. So that's really the philosophy uh, behind the whole thing, that to change the world, we have to start with ourselves. So do you believe that the the new uh, 1212 and 1221 is going to actually bring this um, pattern of energy to a, a... a larger like wave. I, I certainly do. Yeah, I, I believe that because the the universe, the cosmos, nature runs in cycles. I talked about chronobiology earlier. So we have the rotation of the Earth causing the the, acti- the activation deactivation of a gene in the brain called the clock gene. We also have the cycle of the Earth going around the sun, and that changes the tilt on the Earth's axis. Actually, gives us the four seasons. But over millions of years of human evolution, this cyclic variation as the, as the Earth goes around the sun to give us the four seasons, create this cyclic variation gives us a cyclic variations in temperature and climate and also availability of food. So the human genome evolves within that environment. So the human genome has actually evolved within a cyclic environment. So it's like the human, all of human biology is actually synchronized with cycles in nature. Now, when it comes to this uh, uh, December 21st, the Mayans, they charted a long cycle. They they charted, they made their calendar based on real astronomical alignments. Now, the the way that we measure time in the modern era is really just arbitrary. Outside of a year, which is a proper cycle, we measure things as a decade of 10 years, a century as a hundred, a millennium as a thousand, but that has actually no bearing in any real astronomical changes. The Mayans actually counted a cycle, so there is a grand cycle that comes to an end on December 21st. And if if these cycles, even the smaller cycles I've, I've referred to, actually impact human biology, then I would be very surprised if this grand cycle that the Mayans charted that's coming to an end at 2012 doesn't have some bearing on some of the upheaval and the challenges and the changes that the world is going through right now. So I think uh, all of these the global changes that are happening right now are really just a demonstration that all of us collectively are are in sync with this grand cycle. So I think December 21st is the centre point of this, the ending of one cycle and the beginning of another. And it opens up, as Greg Braden actually says in the film, in Choice Point, it opens up a window a window of opportunity. So the end of one cycle the beginning of another, so the the very next day, really, the beginning of the next cycle, uh, we call this a choice point. And the decisions that we make in this window of opportunity, who we choose to be as a as a species, you know, who we individually choose to be as a person, um, has a greater impact on the next cycle as it unfolds in our lives. So over this transition period, if we choose to be more kind to each other, more show more empathy and compassion and and, and gentler ways of, of treating each other, to cooperate in the world rather than compete all the time. If we make these higher choices, then we impact the next cycle that begins at, you know, on the 22nd of December. We impact this cycle in a much greater way. And collectively, if m- many of us choose to live our lives in a really positive way like this, then we really can set the tone for the next cycle in life, and we really can set the direction of the, the next phase of humanity. And, and this is our window of opportunity, where our choices have much greater potency than perhaps they might have had five or ten years ago. So it's like we're coming to a head now where we really are far more powerful than we were five or ten years ago. So if we really choose to make a difference in the world, then now is the time to do it. Because it's almost like the physics stacks the car stacks the deck in your favor in in this transition period. Well, it's a very important. I was going to say it really opens up a new template that um, you know it's a new thought pattern for people, maybe that they would like to envision in their lives and Mm. give them a new opportunity to be able to look at these things that they haven't before. So yeah. it's really exciting what you 
and um, Harry Massey has has done to to prepare this book and this movie, you know, allowing people to see a new form and and being able to think, oh wow, you know, this is something I'd really like to climb onto. You know? mm. and, and yeah. Of, oh, thanks. Yeah, yeah I, I'm hopeful. I, I really. I'm really hopeful that people in, enjoy the film and, and that they they in, enjoy reading the book as well. Uh, we, we're really hopeful that it can it can make a difference in people's lives. Now, where can people get the film, or uh, where can hey, they? Well, pe- people can watch the film for free. If I listen to the listeners to the show, can get it for free if you go into a choicepointmovement.com forward slash movie, and if you do that, you can actually watch the film for free. Oh, great. So, so choicepointmovement.com yep. choice forward slash movie. So uh, only the people listening to this show will, will know that that's the, the forward slash movie gets you the free movie. But, but Harry decided to, you know, on this, this interview and a few other chats that we're having, uh, to give the people listening a chance to, to watch the film for free. What an opportunity. I hope our listeners yeah. grab onto that. So well, that's yeah. wonderful. Yeah, well, I hope they enjoy the film. <laughs> <laughs> so, did to get your book, where do they people go? Hey, to get the book, you can get it from Amazon or from Barnes and Noble, or you can get it from HayHouse.com. So, either of those those places. I also have a link on my own website, which is DrDavidHamilton.com. So, really, any of those places you can get, you can purchase the book from. Now, I'm going to do and, a and the question. Book. At, go ahead. So now go ahead. Uh, so, yeah, the book really just goes into more detail. Uh, the film is is one hour thirteen minutes, so the book really just explores the concepts in a much deeper level. So it goes into a bit more of the, a lot more of the the interview material that we couldn't possibly fit in the film. So that's the main difference between the book and the film. Is the book's just an expansion on the ideas. Now I'm going to ask a question that Taz always loves to ask. Uh, yeah. Was there a uh, life-changing experience you had during uh, writing this book or uh, being involved with the film? Uh, For me personally, I would say yes. It was becoming, realizing, I I guess becoming much more responsible in how I do things in in the sense that that one of the things we, we really found when we were researching all this stuff is we is the degree of interconnectedness in our world and that everything that we do affects other people. And and this is something that I've always talked about, I I know on an intellectual level, but once you really, really think about it, and I was bombarded with this information every single day, you know, and there was one line that's in the book, it's not in the film, but it was in the book, and it was a professor at Michigan University called Robert Quinn, and he said, one of the most important questions we now have to ask ourselves in life is, how do I transcend self-interest? How do I understand that it's not about me, it's about me as interconnected to everyone else? And that, that particular line had a profound impact on me when I was writing it because it took my understanding of this, this, the fact that my actions affect people all the time onto another level. I'd always known it, but it took it took it onto another level, so I became, became far more consciously aware of the impact I have on people around me. And that's very good to have, because it means that every interaction can be infused with much more positive energy or much more compassion. Or, for me, a, I, I've noticed a shift in empathy. So, a, a, unintentional, really, just, just the, the, the material of the book and the film just almost absorbed onto me, if you like. So I, I guess a change, an, an unexpected change was a deepening in my own personal empathy. And that's just through recognizing that that we're interconnected in life and that our choices impact people far more than we think they do. Even a simple choice like choosing to smile at someone in the street has has consequences because it can make someone feel good. Exactly. And yeah. we're all into on the same boat, <laughs> going the same direction, yeah. whether you know it or not. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So we wanted to remind everybody to 
hop onto the website that you just told us about so that they could see the film for free. Yeah. So that's choicepointmovement.com forward slash movie. So that is extra special for our listeners. Thank you so much for being with us today. We've had fun. Me too. And we have a lot to think about now. Yeah, well, thanks for inviting me on today. I've really thoroughly enjoyed speaking with you. We enjoyed having you. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. Well, have a great day, and I hope all your listeners have a great day too. Oh, I'm sure we will. And we'll smile at everyone as we walk down the streets. Yeah, yeah. And everyone, you know, what... I found this piece of research a while ago that even when you, even when people don't smile back, they really do. They just don't know that they do. And there was an experiment <laughs> where scientists put the little tiny devices on people's smile muscles. There's a smile muscle on your lips called the zygomaticus major muscle, and they put little devices that measure muscle twitches, and they showed on the screen, the computer screen, a facial expression that was just bland. But what the people didn't see is just before that facial expression appeared on the screen, for a tiny, tiny, tiniest fraction of a second, a happy face appeared on the screen, but so fast that no one saw it. But what happened is every single person's smile muscle twitched so fast that they didn't even know that it twitched. The tiny camera picked it up. So when you smile at someone in the street and they don't smile back, they really did. They just didn't know that they did. And I love that <laughs> because it means that you're always causing people to smile. It's, uh, smiling is impossible not to because your facial muscles uh, twitch so fast, literally within 30 one-thousandths of a second, and it's before your conscious mind can overrule it. So everyone smiles back at you, even if you, they think that they do it. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you again for being with us today. We've had a great time. Oh, thank you. And same to you. Have a lovely day. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. <laughs>